Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Everybody, please put hey. a thumb in the air. Hey. Hey, everybody, how you doing? Well, that's good. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. We are coming to you with a uh, special show this week. The Flyers played Monday, played Wednesday. They're on a bit of a crazy schedule. They're playing the Devils right now, and I believe just fell behind 2-1. to one. Uh, None of us feel like watching a Devils game, and I assume none of you do either. So. Or a Flyers game. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a Devils-Flyers game at this point in the season is really just, like, it's punishment. It, this is our penance for you know, winning last night. Oh, you beat the Stanley Cup champs. You beat them 4 nothing. Go play the Devils now. In New Jersey. In New Jersey. Last I saw, the Flyers were getting outshot 12-6 to uh, into the second period. So this must be a rousing game. I'm really sorry I'm missing it. Uh, <laughs> let me introduce you to our panel for the evening. Uh, first and foremost, joining us in place of Steph Felicious D. Steph Driver, Joey Pierogies. How's everybody doing? Um, I'm here in place of Steph, uh, unfortunately. Sorry to... You're not here, Steph, but... Uh, so much peace this week. So peace. You're not as oh, pretty as Steph, though. Oh, you are 100% correct. <laughs> <laughs> but, man, I'm going to miss Steve Mason, let me tell you guys. He's fantastic, he's a beautiful man, and he's so underappreciated, and damn it, I want to kiss him on the face. Mm, that's that, a thanks, lot. thanks for that, Joe. Here's really. to the memories. Really, I appreciate uh, we, there's always a possibility they bring it back. I don't like like. I'm watching. It's not out of the realm. They keep of saying it's a thing. I'm watching the game last night, and I'm thinking uh, they re up Neuver, and I have guaranteed you have that you are on Neuver will get will not be with the Flyers uh, by puck drop game one. I believe he'll be in Las Vegas. Sure. Uh, but say you know they go into next season and they they go through the expansion draft. Neuvert's still here and they're looking for their goalie and they really honestly believe both goalies just had a down year and this is the tandem with Mason getting you know the majority of the starts as he has for the last two years. This is a tandem that's as good as anything they can find. What stops them from bringing Mason back and just doing this all over again? I I don't think it's I I, I don't think it's likely. But yeah, it could happen, especially if there's situ- especially if there's a situation where like for Belmar was like well, that's true. But especially if there's a situation where Mason's just sitting out on the market for a while, which I don't think is out of the realm of possibility because based on what we've seen from I think what was that they're, 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 that ESPN article earlier this year where they ranked Mason like 24th or something, and and that was like talking to NHL GMs and yeah. people in the league. Like, 
don't think people in the league are that high on Steve Mason, and they're certainly not going to be that high on him after the way this year's played out. So, And Mason know. just has that thing where he's good enough to get a good deal and not good enough for any GM to want to give it to him. And so it could be one of those situations where he's just kind of sitting there, yeah. and the Flyers go, ah, we don't have a starting goalie, <laughs> so come on Oops, back, Steve. They have Neuvert. <laughs> exactly. We don't have a starting goalie. <laughs> Good point. That voice right was there. It, was it a fun three-year period not having to worry about a goalie? No. Eh, I mean, is more comfortable But, but then, then they didn't have a defense. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can't ever seem to get all the Can bits. Can have a hockey team? No. No. <laughs> not a whole asking one. for a lot, Joe. <laughs> the fly by yourself, Kelly Hinkle. Hey, folks. So here's the thing. As we sit together, mired in a really, really, really mucky, crappy hockey season, being realistic about your team doesn't make you a bad fan. And being realistic about your team doesn't make you a negative person. You can love the Flyers and admit that they are bad and not making the playoffs. These things can exist in the same space. So let's everybody settle. And you could be happy like I am, that they shut out the Penguins last night. That was fun. And also hopeful sort of. that they lose all of their remaining games, <laughs> I don't which know I, I want to see. don't know if I'd go that far. I wouldn't hate it. <laughs> but to be I, I still... I, I want to beat the Penguins on the uh, at the end of the month and Ottawa at the end of the month. They have back-to-back games against those two. I want to take those two teams down. And I want him to go 2-11 and 11 in the last 13. I just wish I hated something as much as Bill hates Ottawa. <laughs> I hate him. It's in me. I, I think what what the issue I have with the idea of like, oh, we'll just root for them to lose all their games, is that if they lose all their games, the only way they're going to lose all their games is if players that you're hoping have strong finishes of the year because then you can be more hopeful that they have a bounce back year the following year. It's because they all played bad. And what then if it, I hope they lose six to five? Okay, well that's fair. But then they're gonna probably Neuver played some of those games, and then we're gonna be like, well, he's our starting goalie next year. So another two year extension. I, I mean, <laughs> he got a raise for being the worst goalie in hockey. So I imagine if he's like the worst goalie ever in hockey, he's in on the tank. If you want to be positive about it, at least Neuver has nowhere left to fall because he's already at the bottom. Uh-huh. He can only have a bounce <laughs> back nice. year. That's nice, Joe. That, that, I like that. That is a nice sentiment. It no matter really what he does worse. next season, it's a bounce back year. There's no way he's got like an 860 save percentage, I mean, whatever the hell it is. Is, is there really no way? Ah, no. I mean, you, <laughs> every goalie. I, I agree. I agree. Every he's goalie not be stops a certain number of shots. I thought that number was 90%, but he's proven me wrong about that. So. <laughs> uh, last but not least, the man with the observations, Charlie O'Connor. This so, must be a big. This must be a big week for you, Charlie. Why? Your last name's O'Connor. Oh, the whole St. Patrick's Day thing. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of lost. It's. I, I just want to sleep. You're an this, adult. I now. just want to sleep this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll see. Um, so one thing that really bothered me um, over the past weekend, I took a, a mini vacation. I visited some friends in San Francisco last weekend, so I didn't do observations for the Boston game or for the Columbus game. Did do observations for, for the Toronto game. My plan was I was going to watch the Toronto game. And there then, aren't possibly ten things you could have taken out of that Boston game, and you're yeah, really good yeah. at observations. I, I, you're I really good I at can, finding stuff. There's was, no way. I was very happy to have to write about There's that. There's no way. In any case, I knew I was going to be able to watch the Toronto game in New York because I was flying out of New York on Friday morning, and then I thought I was going to be able to watch the Boston game in San Francisco because both of those I pay for NHL TV because I track games, I watch them after the game's already been done, track them, analyze them, whatnot. I thought, hey, this is great. I'm not going to be in Philly because I usually can't watch games on NHL TV in Philly because it's blacked out on the local market, which makes sense. 
So I go to New York. I fire up the NHL TV, blacked out on cable television. Of course, the person I'm staying with doesn't have cable because anybody over the age of, uh, under the age of 30 doesn't have cable anymore. So couldn't watch that game except on a shitty-ass stream. Then go to San Francisco, say fire up the old computer at 10 a.m. to watch the Boston game. Blacked out again. Another game on national TV that I can't watch because, again, friends don't have cable. I am infuriated by the blackout rules. Absolutely infuriated by the blackout rules. I get why they exist from a logistical standpoint, from a cable standpoint, but like the NHL needs to be going out of their way to get people to watch their product. That's my issue and, that I don't I don't think they, there's a logistical And they reason. don't because of these these agreements they have with cable companies and all this shit. Like, let me watch the friggin' Flyers on the good stream for once rather than have to get a, a shitty illegal, illegal stream that I don't even want to use because I pay for NHL TV. Comcast owns a team in the league. They also own NBC Universal, which have exclusive television rights to the product. They're just going to screw you. And it's stupid because, like, especially your hockey market, like, it's fans who are, like, go out of their way to look for games. Like, why are you taking away the game from the only people who watch it? The only people who watch it are the people who are like, yes, I have NHL TV, and yes, I cut the cord. Like, I, that seems like your market to me. Like, does soccer do this? Because I feel like it's a big crossover market, like beer-drinking, bearded hipsters. Maybe. Sure. I, yeah. I, if you say so. <laughs> I, I, well, I, was, I was thinking to myself, like, I can't get on this get on this, on this stream, on this NHL TV show. What am I going to do? Go to a bar at 10 a.m. in San Francisco and ask them to turn the Flyers-Bruins game on? Like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. That, that sounds fun, trying. actually. It's 1 o'clock somewhere. <laughs> Joe. Shout out to Kelly. Oh, God. I got to... <laughs> I'm not, I didn't ever think that I would in my life murder someone on internet radio, but today would be the day. That's Wilt, Kelly. It was the first time for everything. I gotta say, that Mark Stride appreciation video had to just bring a tear to your eye with, uh... <laughs> he played in the... You just remember those 13 playoff games he played in in Orange and Black and the five wins that they had in those games? I mean, who Mark Streit just... Key member in the history of this team's w- shittiest period. <laughs> I'm just upset there was no mention of his penis falling off in that video. Arguably the most important part of Mark Strait's tenure. The only thing he ever did was get hurt and clear the way for Gostas Bear. And like Mark Strait wore a letter here. I'm sure he was a great veteran presence and all those hockey cliches that you hear about that we're now going to hear about you know, with Pierre Bel- Belmar for the next 10 years. But like a tribute video for Mark Strait. A guy who came here and was okay for a little bit, and we traded for what? Well, Philpola. <laughs> and a fourth. Yeah, like Phil- And a seventh, which yeah. Joe was wow. so excited to remind us last time. <laughs> like, I just, like, he's just some guy. I do think that, in general, I think that fans underrate Mark Streit. I think there's a. It, it always kind of ticked me off how much a lot of fans just, oh, well, Mark Streit's just, he's just bad. Like, no, Mark Streit is was pretty good this past year his numbers were okay but you could obviously see the guy was slipping but I think he was a player who because he played on a shitty team or a mediocre team for his entire tenure like people just figured oh he must just be a mediocre defense he's pretty good he was good he was was an above average defenseman probably at the start of the contract he was like a low-end first pair guy and then at the end of the contract was probably a high-end third pair guy he was sold to us as another chemo team and 
and he well, came, anybody who bought that's a moron. I I agree, but I'm just, he was brought here to be something, and he kind of was for a little while. But he's just a guy. No, I mean I don't think like, he should have like, got. We have to honor video, every single guy that's who's the ever thing that worn. Gets to me. Like, is there gonna be? Was there a Patrick Sharp tribute video? Like, did Justin Williams get one? I think Justin Williams did get one actually. Like, did Time Again get one last night in the Tomas Phantoms Huygen game? Never got one. Oh, and, Jesus uh, Christ, Joe! <laughs> Turn off your microphone. Yeah. Like, should I make one on on iMovie and send it to Villy Leno over in Europe? Like, I, I just it's a little mess. It's just I get like, and I get there's something about the Flyers organization that like, hey, we're all family and everything's great here. And if you played for this team, yeah, you're part of it. But no, you're not. No, I, you're th- not I think they, they do like to present that. It's one of those because not only not only is it nice for Stride and by all accounts he was touched by the by the video and whatnot. Like, I would be too. Other teams are in the arena when that happens and they say, "Well, it's nice to play for the Flyers." They do. This I could for go their... be okay yeah. somewhere, and make thirty million bucks, exactly. and get a video when I come back. <laughs> exactly. At 40. And I guess that's one of the you know maybe a very little bit it contributes to team to players being like, "Yeah, maybe I'll." And he's on the Penguins. Like, are we honoring a Penguin really? Hey, John. Okay, come on. The penguins. Have a 50-goal season and we can talk. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So I guess we can get into this team. (laughs) Do we have to? (laughs) Is there anything else? How was everyone's week? (laughs) Anything fun happen at work for anybody? We had a snow day. That was fun. Yeah, snow. Some of us had snow days. Other people had to trudge through the snow to get to work. State of emergency. You could have just been like, nah. Uh, so I'm reading I'm reading this article on TSN the other day, and it's about it's about how the the Canucks GM Jim Benning says who is bad. Yeah, no, sure, but he says reality has set in, and it's time to play the kids. Time to get them more ice time. And my initial reaction is, yeah, what the hell? Like, how has a reality set in for this Flyers team that's just been like on this bubble of mediocrity for four years now? Like, and then I really started to think about it. And I got concerned, and I want to. I want to start the show with this question about my concern. Uh, considering the volume, just the sheer number of prospects we have that we talk about all the time, and like the other night, I literally wrote it out in my notepad, and like had to meditate on it. I was like, everything's gonna be fine. <laughs> Everything's going to be fine. It's just a hockey team, and they're going to be good eventually. So you don't have to punch holes in your walls. And well, you still might. Uh, yeah. And then I was thinking, wait, I want to play the kids, but we kind of already are. And it became concerning to me that despite the sheer volume of prospects, the only ones considered NHL ready are here. Konechny and Provorov. Ghost came up last year. Jordan Wheels, 25 years old. Everyone else is eh, not really. I'm not not sure. ready yet. Or a Taylor Lear who's hurt, or a Scott Lawton who's uh, oh great, we brought up a fourth liner. See, I'm not sure I agree with that in the sense that I think there's a difference between being NHL ready for one team versus another. Like, and that just comes down to the way the GM views it. Like, I believe that on the Coyotes, that probably Sam Moran, Robert Hag, and Travis Sanheim would all be up right now because I think they are basically NHL ready. It's just that. Ron Hextall doesn't like to bring guys up until he's like 100% sure that they're ready or as close to 100% sure as he's going to get. And he doesn't want to send veterans down for whatever reason. I I guess he sent down McDonald last year, but now he's a first-pair defenseman, so God knows what he actually thinks of him. Um, But, like, would a a normal team that is, you know, kind of in the – the last gasps, gasps of pushing for a playoff spot, maybe send down Nick Schultz and bring up one of the youngest. Yeah, probably. But I just don't think Hextall will because that's just him. See, and another thing with the Canucks is you got to think that team is like 
two old Sedins, Tanev, and a bunch of spare parts. I mean, they've had Jason Megna on their first line, so realistically, you know, the younger guys can't be much worse than that, where as at least we have guys, you know, who are bad, but they're not that bad. I think you can make the the kids can't be any worse argument for a lot of the guys on our team right now, to be honest. Hey, and Dale, we scored a goal last night. That's true. Yeah, he scored it. Did you see he, him on the bench? He looked at he what was no, the chance? He's like, well, was that me? Wow. Yeah, I, I just didn't know what happened. Like, when the puck hits your stick and goes in the net, I didn't know. Uh, now that I know that that's the point of this game, I think I'm more prepared to do it again. That was Dale Weiss. <laughs> I'd agree with, with Charlie, though. I mean, I don't I don't think it's a case of our kids not being NHL ready. It's a case of the front office not wanting to play them in the NHL right now, which, I mean, I to me, I think it's a bit problematic given that the season is over. I mean, I guess you can... I think we've talked about it before. There is some merit to giving them experience in a playoff run down with the Phantoms. But even that's in question now. They might not make the playoffs, which is totally crazy. Travis wrote an article about it recently. Um, but yeah, I would like to see them just start throwing some kids in see what happens. But I don't think it's going to happen. I don't really care. Like, I, I guess that's... I, I get that everyone's really angry at the Flyers right now, and they're like, well, we want to see something, so just bring up the kids, because that'll make it fun for the next two weeks since there's no chance we're going to make the playoffs. Like, It doesn't really matter to me whether Sam Moran gets his first game in the NHL in late March of 2017 or whether he gets his first game in the NHL in mid-October of 2017. Like, I just don't care. Yeah, it, it doesn't, doesn't really matter, but it would be fun. It Fun's doesn't nice. matter to me, but if there's 13 games left and the team is basically just playing out the string, they can say, oh, yeah, we're still in it. No, you're not, because you suck. Uh, if you're still <laughs> in they, it, they still believe they have still a 2% chance sure. of yeah, making the playoffs. But, like, the idea of playing Chris Vandevelde, who, God help me, if he's not let to walk at the end of this year, I'm going to stop watching the team. But, like, the idea that he's a staple in the lineup, he's one of six guys who've played every game this year, and Scott Lawton's just chilling in the AHL. Yeah. What is the point of these last 13? games and having Chris Vandevelde a bum in the lineup every night. I'm 100% with you there. 100% <laughs> with you. Especially especially with a guy like Vandevelde. That's a who waste. Has, who's an expiring contract. And if you were... Here's the thing with Chris Vandevelde. Like, He's the captain. A, of the a rational front office would look at Chris Vandevelde and say, "This is this guy is basically a quad A guy who we should not be re-signing. So if he's not part of the future, we shouldn't be playing him in the back half of the season. We should be giving Scott Lawton a chance to see if he can be an, a penalty kill fourth liner for next year. The problem with that is that I don't know if the Flyers think that Chris Vandevelde should be let go. Like The Flyers may still be thinking, ah, maybe we're going to re-sign Chris Vandevelde, which is insane, but... Considering how I will actively root against this team if he's all signs considering how they've used him this year, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, is there the way they've used him this year? He hasn't been scratched once. Like, what leads you to believe that they are definitely not going to re-sign Chris Vandevelde? I hope they don't, but I can't rule the possibility out. I can't even say it's like a low possibility. Maybe like 40 percent that he comes back, sixty percent that he gets let go. But like, that's way higher than it should be. And like, I was. It's just. It blows my mind, and part of it is health, but there are six guys at this game. This is game 70, and I don't think anyone who played last night is missing tonight. Uh, so, yeah, there are six guys who've played all 70 games now. Uh, Giroux, yeah, captain of the team, you know, leading leading the league in power play points. Makes sense. Jake Voracek, leading scorer on the team. There you go. Wayne Simmons, just about to break 30 goals again. Yeah, of course. Cool Provorov, best player on the team. I don't even think it's debatable. Well, I mean, point. I would debate that, but let, 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 let's just continue. <laughs> and then the other two, 
are Belmore and Vandervelde. Here we go. They haven't missed a game. Shen so valuable. Shen has only missed the three games that he was suspended for. Right. Uh, Ghost has missed six, I believe. And what, he five missed, were scratches. Yeah, so he missed one, and one was, was an injury. Yeah, he was like battling an injury. And Amac has missed nine. Yeah, he was scratched for a bit in, yeah. in November. And then he missed that one for maintenance. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Where we thought, hey, maybe maybe yeah. the Flyers have changed their mind. I was like, nah, they he's hurt. made sure to be like, no, 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 he's hurt. <laughs> he's really valuable. <laughs> They had to make sure to tell us. I just like, and it gets to it gets to your question here, Charlie, as to like what is the like what's the point of these last couple like this last these last twelve thirteen games? Like, what do you want to see? I just want to see like you're recognizing what this yeah. season is. Yeah. If you honestly like, okay, you're a couple points out of the second wild card, but you're also eighteen points out of fourth in your division. So like you're pretty bad. It's just that the other division is awful. That's all. Yeah. The other division is just awful. This is where we get into a problem with the standings, and we get into a problem. This, this is a structural problem with the NHL. The fact that the Flyers, who who by Michael Blake McCurdy, the hockey team, the yeah, Flyers, the hockey team, the Flyers, mm-hmm. by by Michael Blake McCurdy, who is ineffective math on Twitter, is a great follow. By his model, the Flyers have a two percent chance of making the playoffs, and I tend to trust his, his math. He's a very smart guy. Flyers are almost certainly not making the playoffs, but they're what six points out. They could be four points out if they somehow win tonight against the Devils. Like they're still probably not going to make the playoffs, but they're close enough that everyone can convince themselves that, well, they have a shot. And the Flyers can still sell to the fans who look in the standings in the newspaper in the morning and see the Flyers are only four points out and think, hey, maybe they could still make the playoffs. Like that, in my opinion, is what's keeping this whole house of cards standing is that, oh, well, they're not that far because look at the standings. Like, Yeah, well, the standings are misleading because everyone at this time of year plays in three-point games because everybody plays for overtime because no one wants to give up points because this whole structure in the standings is insane. That's something I, I'm glad you brought that up because I am I got really annoyed uh, after that Saturday game when they lost on the Brandon Manning own goal. And I heard like Cla- – and Claude Giroux is going to say in an interview – he says the bare minimum yeah. cliche, whatever is expected of him to say. And he says, yeah, you know, we lost in the last five seconds versus Boston. I said, no. No, no you didn't. You gave up that goal that deflected off of Brandon Manning in the last couple seconds. But you lost because you were clearly playing for overtime, hoping to hold on, got outshot 12-4, to 4, which you got tripled in shots. Just checking my math real quick. <laughs> he was counting on his fingers, first. It was great. And and you ended up giving up a goal when you gave it up. But you played like shit and you lost because of it. Because you were just hoping to get into one of those three-point games. Hope, okay, yeah, we got in overtime against Boston and then we took our chances. We're doing pretty well in three-on-three. Three. We're pretty good at that. We're doing pretty well in shootouts this year. There's a chance. You got beat in regulation because of the way you played in the third period. Not because Brandon Manning had a puck bounce off of him. Yeah, and that's some classic Dave Haxtell shit right there. He is a... Big fan of playing like he's got a four goal lead when he's got a tie or he's down one goal. And it's infuriating because you're never, ever, ever going to win a game sitting back like that in the third period. You ever see it's, a turtle with its head? It I have seen a turtle. I have seen turtles seen once turtles in a while, too. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but anyway, I don't even know what's happening. The. I really think that's what's, that's what's driving this, is that they know they can't... If they start calling up kids and they start basically benching guys that 
either aren't good or aren't part of the future, then that is essentially waving the white flag. And then the guys on CSN can't say before every game, oh, they're only three points. They're only six points (laughs) out. They still have a shot. Like it's all perception. And that's why the league does this. Like that's why the league created the loser point is to make GMs keep their jobs longer. I really like, and I like. I'm convinced that's the reason. Right away, like when I first saw this new playoff format, I liked it because the first rounds were so good. And like the loser point, I was like, everyone's against it. I said, whatever, you know, you didn't lose in regulation. I get it. But watching all this, like, just contrived parrot, like these teams yeah. aren't like, yeah, <laughs> no. These yeah. are, these teams don't match up. No. The Flyers are nowhere close to the rest of the teams in their division. They're not a playoff team. You win, you get in. That's like anything can happen when you get in. You had the Flyers as a seventh seed because they had a terrible start to the year and their coach got fired and then played up to their ability, got into the playoffs and made a cup run as a seventh seed. Like the Kings won, I believe, as an eighth seed. Because, like, they finally played up to their ability, not because they were an eighth seed all year. That's just who they were. And I hate that excuse because it's, it's, it's all contextual, but it's not true. These bottom of the barrel teams, especially this eighth seed this year, the second wild card in the East, is going to be a bad team. Very it is going bad. to be a team that is going to hopefully get swept. The, the team that runs into them, like if they suffer an injury in game five or six, that is an injustice to that team <laughs> that played great hockey all year and then like lose a, like a second liner because they had to play an extra game against a shitty team. Well, look at Tampa. Tampa's like the team closest to getting this spot, and their entire lineup is people you've never heard of because everyone's injured. And, and they're on a run. Like they are winning games. That's going to be the. I read someone this week, like, how funny is it going to be? Be like you win the president's trophy, you play this great year, and then your reward is the rolling Tampa Bay team that now is helping. Who got, who got <laughs> everybody back? Who just got Steven Stamkos back? Like, uh, but yeah, this is this is a good question here, Charlie. It's like, just what do you want to see? They have 13 games left, 12 now. What do you want to see out of this last month of the season ish? I mean, for me, the best case scenario in terms of what I'm thinking for for next year is that there's all there's been talk over the past couple of months that Claude Giroux, one of the reasons why he hasn't looked as good this year, or as good as people hoped he was going to look, was because of the hip surgery. Ghost and too. yeah, and goes too. Yeah. Exactly, and there's exactly. merit to it in that both of their games are kind of coming around. Yeah, they're, the yeah, same they're trending time. upwards. So I would love to see over the last three weeks of the year for Giroux to finish strong because if he finishes strong, that to me. It supports the theory that it was the hip surgery. It's not that he's getting old. So that's something that I'm going to be looking for a lot over the last few weeks. Because if Giroux, like if this is the new normal for Giroux, it's not good, but it's really bad if he gets even worse from here. And that's what concerns the hell out of me. So if he trends upward over the last three weeks and he's you know still going balls to the wall and you know, playing really well and looks faster and is scoring, yeah, it makes me feel better for next year because the guy who's your best player and one of your or is your highest paid player, is not finished. And that, that that's good. So that's something I'll be looking for. I mean, hey, look at Steve Eiserman. What, he was 32 when, you know... I mean, I'm not comparing saying that, you know, Drew is as good as Steve Eiserman because he's not, but he was old when Detroit finally got good. So if you want to try to be positive looking at, like, a situation like that, you could always try to, you know, look at it like that. I mean, it could happen. Players age differently. You know, some guys are still really good. Some guys... You know, you have Danny Heatley who fall off a cliff at age 30. Then you have guys like, 
I don't know, the Sedins who are still really good. Like, like, there are guys that were never the best players that stay very good into their mid to late 30s. It doesn't happen all the time. It happens. You're hoping it happens with guys like Jerome Voracek, and I just I want to see him finish strong because that'll make me feel better that he can carry that over into next year. Yeah, I mean, I would like to see, with full acknowledgement that I'm not going to see it, um, the coaching staff start to acknowledge who are the good players and who are the bad players. I agree and- with that choose lines and playing time accordingly um it would just be nice to know heading into next season that maybe they're starting to think a little bit more clearly and not like crazy people um but i don't i'm not super confident that we're going to see that over the next 12 games that would be nice in because i like you said i know i'm not going to see it like i would love to just see some call-ups to just get a look at some of these guys and get their feet wet and so they kind of are more able to hit the ground running in training camp. And then when they make the team, it's not like, um, okay, we got to see. Like, no, once these guys are here, yeah, I want seen. them out there. Like, yeah. Provorov played 27 minutes last night. That's what I want. I want all these guys thrown into the deep end of the pool. And if this is a head start, I would really like to see it. Uh, I guess I would... <laughs> I just want to see watchable hockey. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, who would, you, who would you, you know, realistically call up to, you know fill into the lineup because it's not like you can go out and say okay i'm bringing up sandheim moran and haig and i'm scratching delzato uh mcdonald and gudis i mean i guess why, you could. why well, not well, well, I keep gudis in the lineup the yeah. other two guys sure that was just the name <laughs> I, like that's my question you can like, do that i know i'm never gonna get and that's why i prefaced it with i know i'm not gonna see it because they're not gonna scratch andrew mcdonald they're just not but they can but why yeah he gets paid you're not stiffing him no he's getting his five mil let like, him learn just, up in the press box it'll be yeah. fine Teaching moment. That's yeah. really important, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I just want to, like, an identification of this is how we're going to do it. Like, it sucks that Jordan Wheel got hurt. I really. Well, he's back tonight. Was he back tonight? Back All right. Tonight. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Like, I would like to, like, okay, let's utilize him. Let's get him some power play time because it's over, guys. Well, especially with him. It's over. He's a UFA. So, like, it's not even that they have the ability to sign him to another one-year RFA deal and wait and see again. Like, yeah. If they want him back, they will need to sign him to some type of contract. And he's against, 25 in yeah, April. He's looking other, for a payday. Yeah, against other teams. I don't think he's going to get that much money from no, anybody. No, no. But like the Flyers need to know if he's a guy who they want to commit some act, like an actual roster spot to for next year. And the only way you're going to know if he's worth that is if you play him and is if you give him good line mates, which they're doing, which to their credit, he's up with the Giroux line. This is exactly what you want to do for a guy like Jordan Wheel. See what you got in him. And so far, he's looked very good. So, of course, what then was going to end up happening is he's not going to get re-signed because they brought back Chris Vandeveld. Yeah. But, yeah. I would also really like to see what happens if they try to skate Nick Schultz for 20 minutes. <laughs> Just see. Just to see. So, he you, played- so you basically want to kill Nick Schultz. <laughs> He played tw- he played 12 minutes. He hasn't topped 14 minutes in 6 games. He hasn't topped 17 minutes since November. Why is he here? Schultz Provorov. Let's because go. He played good with Coburn for a week 2 years ago. Well, remember how, was it last yeah. week when we were talking about how every like all of uh, all of like the the inside Flyers people tried to convince us for a full season that Nick Schultz was their best defenseman? They yes. sure did. Yeah. That was a great time. That was a great time yeah. in Flyers history. We I looked at it. He was going to win the Ashby Trophy. I, I looked at it last night because I had no idea of this. 
he's missed until this year. His first two years here, he played like eighty and eighty-one games. He was he was a staple of the lineup for two years. I totally erased that from my memory about Nick Schultz. Him and Straight, that pairing, that yeah. famous pairing, even better than the Straight and Grossman pairing. How could you forget? <laughs> That's why they thought Andrew McDonald was good, because those are the guys he he had on his team: Nick Schultz, Nick Grossman, like oh Luke Shen. Uh, all right, we're going to do my favorite thing and talk about goalies now. Oh, that's always oh, fun. Uh, I guess we have to start because it's been sensical in that Neuvert is bad, so he isn't playing, and Mason has been good Mason recently, so he is playing. But we haven't been with you in a while, so we're going to go all the way back to that Toronto game whenever that was. Yeah, I, uh, I, yeah last, what, Thursday, Thursday was the Toronto game? Yeah, I'd like to go on a, a bit of a rant here. All yours, Charlie. Ooh. So... Dave Haxtell this season has made a lot of questionable decisions. We've, we've broken down quite a few of them on this very show. But almost every time you could take a step back and you know put aside the anger, put aside the frustration, and say, okay, I can sort of see where he's coming from here because like maybe they think McDonald's good, or maybe they think that Goss is probably better for a scratch, or maybe this or maybe that. And you can kind of compartmentalize and say, okay, that makes some kind of sense. This decision to start Michael Neuvert over Steve Mason in what was, at the time, the most impactful game towards the team's playoff hopes was the most nonsensical decision of the season. Like, there was nothing, nothing to justify it at all. Career you, numbers. There, okay, Mason <laughs> has better career numbers. He had better full season numbers. He was actually playing well for what? The first time a Flyers goalie had played well this season since December? He was finally on a streak where, like, hey, this guy might actually be able to stop a puck once in a while. And out of nowhere, you decide, hey, I'm going to start the guy who hasn't played in two weeks, who, when he was playing a month ago, was playing terribly the last time he was actually on the ice, and I'm going to start him against a very good team. Well, not a very good team, but a, let's say a good offense yeah, in they Toronto. Good offense, they, have, yeah. they have a good mm-hmm. offense, a good offensive team in Toronto. On the road, in the most important game in terms of your playoff hopes of the season. Like, why? What? I, I, I'm still... I still cannot figure out any possible justification for that move other than I woke up today and I just had a dream that Michael Neuvert was going to play well in this game. Oh, um, it's because he's a bad coach. So that's what, that's why. Fantastic. It makes you think. I know. I like to break it down. <laughs> like, 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 can anyone give me an actual justification as to why Neuvert I can tell you. No, because nobody can think of one. Uh, I'll just throw it. Uh, he played a hunch in that... Mason's career save percentage against Toronto is 876, and Neuvert's is 902. Yeah, but how many of those That's games? That's so stupid. How many of those I'm games not, came I'm against just... Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander? Like, what? How one, many maybe of those two games of them? were on Columbus? Like, when. Are we factoring Mason's time in Columbus? Probably. Just, like, that's I'm so sure, stupid. yeah. No, these are career oh, numbers. Career numbers. I'm, just, so, uh, I, I'm not saying that. it's good. I defended it at the time in that. When a coach plays a hunch, it's either going to work or not, and... It didn't work, because no. everyone saw it wasn't going to work. Like, right. we, we talk a lot about process. No, I get it. We I talk get a it. lot about process on the show, about, you know, process is, you know, process over results, because good process will eventually lead to results in the long term. He's I, lost the benefit but, of the doubt in process. <laughs> the thing is that I don't know what's worse. I don't know if a bad process is worse, or if no process at all is worse. Because this move didn't even strike me as it being a bad process. Like, like thinking Andrew McDonald is a good NHL defenseman, that's a process. It's a bad one, but at least it's a process. This wasn't a process. This was a, as you put it, this was a hunch. This was, 
well, I trust Neuvert. I think he's going to have a good game today. Let's start him. Like, why? This was just random. It was insanity. And then, then he goes out this week and starts Mason in a back-to-back. In back-to-back. Like, what is and like, that was and there like, is no process with the goalies. It's just whatever I feel like doing. My favorite thing about all of that is that no, the mainstream hockey media in this city didn't seem to have a huge problem with Neuvert getting the start over Mason in Toronto. However, for some reason today, there was a lot of questioning why Steve Mason is getting started back to back. And it was like, wait, this is the one that's I, confusing you? You know, I feel like this is the one. I'm not sure if that's true. Because I did get the impression on Twitter that a lot of. I, I don't think any of the reporters were outright critical. Yeah. But I think a lot of the reporters were just confused. Like, well, yeah. It was definitely like, confused. Like, wait, you're, you're, you're starting Neuvert over Mason against Toronto? Like, really? Why? And just like, oh, well, you know, we got to give him a break. It's like, no. Your entire no. coaching philosophy in two years in the NHL has been never to give goalies a break. And now in the biggest game of the year, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to give Mason a break. Like, no, there was, was no way that was the reason. That was my thought is that maybe he just sees it coming and he knows how this is going to go and they need Mason. And this is when I still thought they might like have an outside chance of the playoffs. Now I think their chance is zero. But like, so, OK, we're going to need Mason for like those last 10 in a row. So let's give Neuvert this one. And I, his career numbers are better against Toronto. I don't know. I'm but just, the problem with that is I'm that if you guessing, if you don't win that game, there yeah. is no rest of season. Yeah. Like that was the biggest game of the year in terms of playoff hopes. And you start at your worst goalie, so, or or if not your worst goalie, if you're going to argue that they're pretty similar, the goalie who was playing worse at yes. the time. So if we've learned anything about Dave Haxtell over this season, it's that he loves to make the head scratching decision because he's Dave Haxtell. But, you know, if you notice, he hasn't done that the last few weeks. So, you know, maybe he just wanted to shake it up. I need to mix it up a bit. <laughs> I, need to, I need to get in the head of the fans. I, I, I need to do this because, you know, I'm Dave Haxel and I can do it. I haven't trolled the Flyers fan base you know what? The in fans, a few weeks. So, fans here we are, go, boys. Fans are really starting to get back on board with this, like, maybe we can make the playoffs. And, hey, playoff hockey's okay, so that's an okay thing. I'm going to throw a monkey wrench in this. <laughs> 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 I, You know, like, I, I guess... Like, both goalies have been so inconsistent all year. He was just like, I can see a Mason clunker coming, and maybe Neuvert will give me that one Neuvert game that I justify the next month of playing him off of. Like, I don't know, it's Hackstall. We we have a weekly segment, Kelly. What are you doing? Maybe he has a lucky penny and he flips it. <laughs> like, that's as, that's that as makes, likely yeah, as anything. Yeah, that, he I just know. walks around his life with a quarter. Every decision he makes, he flips it. Hmm, mm. Should I scratch uh, Belmar or uh, Konechny tonight? Uh, Konechny. Vandevelde's head is on both sides of the coin. <laughs> <laughs> and, and another point I'd like to make is I think BSH in general, I don't know if this show, but definitely BSH in general gets the reputation of being like Mason defenders that you know we want – we're always pumping up Mason and always. Well, putting, I certainly and, don't and, have that. Reputation. Well, yeah, you don't. But and always putting down Neuver. But like, I don't. Maybe that's maybe that's the case. I don't think that's the case here. Like, I don't see any argument to start Neuvert in that game because you look at the full season numbers, you look at the recent numbers, you look at everything. Like, this is not a case of me saying, 
they needed to start Steve Mason because he would have won that game. You know what? Mason might have been just as bad because, quite frankly, Mason hasn't been that good this year. And even in the, I guess, in the the, the games since, Mason has just been, he's had a couple good games, a couple bad games. He played great against Pittsburgh, didn't play as well against Columbus. Apparently, he gave up a bad goal to start the Devils game. Like, Mason is not perfect. You cannot expect that Steve Mason would have changed the entire dimension of that Toronto game. But I think you can reasonably expect that he would have done a better job or at least would have been the better bet. That's my, like, I feel like Neuvert let in some bad goals against Toronto, but also made some huge saves when Toronto was swarming. But as a sometimes Steve Mason basher and a sometimes Michael Neuvert defender, there's no question who's better. Like, Steve Mason is an NHL starter, and Michael Neuvert is not. Like, that's, that's... That's as objective as I can be, Like, even though I might like one guy more than the other. See, but thinking back to the Toronto game, wasn't it like 2-1 to one until the third period? Or something like that? Yeah, it was, yeah so it, was, it, it, was, it was a very winnable game. It's it was 2-1 like, to one until Neuver gave a bad goal in the third period. Yeah, but at least he kept them in the game for 40 minutes, you know, as opposed to being <laughs> trashed for 60 minutes. <laughs> I mean, he was bad. Oh Ladies God. and gentlemen, Philadelphia Flyers goaltending 2016-17 season. There we go. I love this I mean, team. maybe he was good for 25 minutes, but, you know, s- score more goals than the other team and you win. That's just All how right. hockey is. I'm going to talk about something good now for, for just a second, and mm-hmm. it's uh, it's Wayne Simmons because he's good. He got his 200th goal last night uh, against against Pittsburgh, which is it was a perfect Wayne Simmons goal. Gosses Barrett puts the puck on. He just gets his – Simmons just gets his nose in there, bangs it home. Uh, 200th NHL goal, 161st with the Flyers, 14th most. In the league since 2011-12, he's pretty good. But we still need to get a sniper, obviously. <laughs> still need that sniper. I would like to see a guy who can break away and make something happen. Uh, Travis Konechny has shown recently, like, maybe he can grow into, maybe not a sniper, but just a guy who the defense constantly has to worry about. He his own shot, yes. which is good. That That's what you're looking for. Simmons is awesome. Like, it was funny, after the game... Drew uh, was interviewed, and they asked Drew about the 200th goal, and Drew said something to the extent of, yeah, I think 198 of them were right from that spot. And it's, it's, <laughs> I don't know if he's wrong. Like That's, that's Simmons' office, and he's so good at it. it it's amazing. It, it always blows me away with Wayne Simmons that L.A. did not know what they had in him from a power play standpoint. Well, that's what I wanted to bring up next was that um, Ron Hextall said, I didn't know he was going to be this good of a player. Which is unbelievable. Like, <laughs> drafted in L.A., traded here, nobody really knew. And I always think to the uh, the Desjardins-Leclair trade, Le- Leclair was just kind of thrown in, and yeah. they were trading for Eric Desjardins. The Flyers were trading for Braden Shen. Yeah. And they ended up with a guy who has 200 NHL goals. Thank God. And, who is, and who's the better player. Like, yeah, yeah. Wayne Cl- Simmons like, is definitely the yeah. better player than, yeah. than Braden Shen. Simmons also tied for 17th in Flyers history with uh, Dave Poulin. Pretty Which is good. crazy. Yeah. Cool. Like, considering he hasn't been here all that long. He yeah, no, 11, for... 11, 12 was his first year yeah. here. And there's a there's a lockout year in there, so it was a 48-game season. And they have him on a cap at under $4 million a year. Wayne like, Simmons is the best He is the best contract, contract in hockey. Oh, for yep. sure. Don't talk to me, John Tavares. Wayne Simmons is the best contract. Oh, it's not. It's unbelievable. He basically like I look at him like a rookie. Like he's got a rookie contract and he's a thirty goal scorer. The thing is though, when his contract is up, he's obviously going to get paid more. You know, just because of all the years he's been underpaid. That's going to be an interesting. That's going to be scary. You know, it, it's going to come down to where the Flyers are at. Like, yep. if, like if the Flyers are in a position when his contract expires, where they're 
competing for a cup, then you probably bite the bullet and you probably sign him to a five, six year deal knowing that the back half of the contract is not going to be that good because you figure, well, we need Wayne Simmons for this run. And we'll deal with if it goes bad at the end. It's the cost of winning. If the Flyers are, are still here, like in this position, man, that's going to suck. If the Flyers are still here in this position, I won't know because I'd have killed myself. <laughs> <laughs> so that's someone else's problem. <laughs> I that's, that's GM Claude Giroux's problem at that point. Uh, you brought it, You compared him to Stevie Y, so I'm just thinking maybe he'll be an awesome GM. Uh but Wayne Simmons is the best power play threat in the league outside of Alex Ovechkin. And they made some changes to the top power play unit. And it resulted in Provorov getting 27 minutes last night because he had four minutes on the power play. And seeing what this unit is with him there and the struggles they've had, even though they're still, I mean, all, through all their struggles, they were never not top 10, I don't think. And they just dropped to 11th. And they just dropped to 11th. Yeah. Okay, so is that. Is, the number of minutes, like the reason why they didn't try it sooner with Provorov, they gave it like a game, like a game and a half, but they really hadn't tried it. Because I like the look. I've been wanting to see Gostas Bear from that right circle all year because he's done really well shooting from there and worked last night. I don't know. I I do think that one of the reasons why they've kept the top unit together as much as they've done is because if you look at the shot generation and the chance generation numbers, they've been very good. Even when the team's, even when the top unit is slumped, they've still generated lots of shots and lots of chances. The puck just wasn't going in the net. So I do believe that was part of it, is that they looked at it and said, well, we're doing a lot of the right things. We just need to keep everything together, and eventually the pucks will start going in. That might have been part of it. At the same time, I understand the the logic of getting Gossesbear on the right side because he struggled this year in getting a shot through on the power play, and it's a lot easier to get a shot through when you're on that right side. And as much as I like Jake Voracek, Gossesbear's shot is much more dynamic than Jake Voracek. That's Jake. Uh, let's uh, since he was since he's been on that unit, he's had eight power play goals, eight power play goals, eleven power play goals. Last two years, one and four. Yeah, last year he couldn't score at all in the power play. He just can't score from that spot anymore, and Costas Bears got the best shot on the team, so obviously you give him that opportunity. See, Vorchek's got this fantastic ability to carry the puck into the zone. Yeah. Get behind the net, then just forget how to play the entire sport of hockey. Then, like, before you know the puck's going the other way, Chris Vanderbilt, he's laying on the ice, McDonald's getting burnt. Like, Wow, Joe, you really took that in a direction I wasn't expecting. I, th- I, 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 th- I thought you were going to praise him for his zone entry ability, and then you talk about Chris Vandevelde having the puck. Like, we Well, w- no, he's fantastic at entering the zone, don't get me wrong, but it's like you watch him, you know, he carries around, he's got like three guys on him carrying the puck in, and then what's he do? Uh, he throws a lot of pucks in the shin pads. He just throws pucks. I, I mean, I'm not going not gonna to bash Jake Voracek for... No, it's good that he does it. You know, it's good that he gets in the, the zone as opposed to... You know, Vandevelde, who turns it over all the time. Try, I don't even want to talk about that fourth line in the offensive zone, but you know what? <laughs> it's good that he gets the pucks in, but it's like, what does he do when he gets them in there? I mean, they, they create a lot when he's in the zone. I I, I think with Voracek I wanted to on the ch- power play, though, like, the biggest thing you're losing, which Joe hinted at, is the zone entry. Yeah. He's very good at helping them get the puck in the zone, and then you get it in the zone, you're more likely to then get set up than if you're just struggling in the neutral zone. But... Can you make up for that by being more efficient in the offensive zone? I wanted to see Voracek in the Shen spot and just add some creativity there, but when you're leading the league in power play goals, they can't bump like 
of all the crazy shit Hackstall does, like I don't think he can justify <laughs> bumping the league's leading power play scorer off of the top power play unit. You could also look at it as you can maybe you can move him to the second power play unit because that is just that's a mess. Yeah, a I joke. don't want to talk about the second power play unit with Sean Couturier. I forget it was like he has. What like ten power play points? Well, it was, it was nine nine primary power play points. So like Some, a goal or a first assist in his in his NHL career. That's, that's just, not great. That's dreadful. So you know you move Voracek down there and maybe he helps generate something on the second power play unit. So it's not just two you know forty seconds of them taking up space. But you know, I don't know. It's hard because you don't like. You, you, if you put Voracek on the second power play, you know his production is going to go down, and then you're going to get the people that are going to be, oh, his contract's awful, and then you're going to have that whole thing pop up because he racks up a lot of points in the power play because everyone on that power play racks up a lot of points. It's a good power play. Because it scores a lot. Mm-hmm. But if you're okay with that, if you're okay with him kind of taking ownership of the second power play unit and know that he's not going to get as many opportunities to score, but the talent will be more evenly distributed and they'll actually create something once in a while with the second unit. Every now and then. Yeah, then, then maybe that's a good thing. It's just, in my opinion, it comes down to whether you think that the the loss of some zone entry ability by moving Voracek out is counterbalanced by the gains you get in the offensive zone once you're set up, and that's just a question the Flyers are going to have to maybe try to answer over the last 13 games of the year, or 10 or 12, or however many they have. Uh, 12 after tonight, and tonight against the Devils is. Uh, Gosta Spare's 64th game of the season. We mentioned how he's been scratched and missed the one game from injury. Tonight's game 64, which is the number of games he played last year. The point production, especially the goals, way down. The assist rate is actually coming back around. It's like he had 20, 29 assists last year. He's got like 25 or 26 this year. So the assist numbers actually came back a little. Uh, the goals just dried up entirely this season. And I just, beyond that, I just feel like he he didn't look for large stretches of the season like the same guy. And we talked, we alluded to the injury earlier. How do we grade Ghost's sophomore season? And like, have we nailed down exactly what was different about his game? I really think it's the injury. I mean, the fact that both he and Giroux were coming around at the same time. Um, I remember reading something earlier in this season that most medical experts think that this is a twelve, a full twelve month recovery. Panaccio was saying that weeks ago. Yeah, that that when you have that surgery, it's a full year before you're back to normal, and we're kind of just almost getting to a full year since they've had that surgery. So maybe he was just hurt. I don't think it's... That's the one that I want it to be. Yeah, I, I, I want it to be that. But I'm not concerned about Gossip Spare. That, that's no. the thing, is that I'm not worried about him. The only thing I, I worry a bit about is if the coaching staff is screwing with his head. Yes. By trying to get him to play a different way and play yep. a way that he won't be as successful over the long term when he, if he tries to play it. But... I look at I look at the stats, and he's a guy who's taken some measurable steps forward. He's driven play a lot better this year than he did last year. Yeah, the goal differential isn't there, but a lot of that is the fact that the team just hasn't scored when he's on the ice. And yeah, some of that's on him, but a lot of that's on the forwards because in the They're end, forwards. Yeah, I mean, in the end, the defense <laughs> is supposed to help the forwards score, and but the forwards still have to be the ones that generally put the puck in the net, and they just haven't at five on five this year, and that hurts his goal differential because. Yeah, you know, the goalies maybe are only stopping 91% of the shots when he's on the ice, but if the team is scoring on 7% or 8% of the shots, then everything looks generally okay, especially if you're pushing play in the right direction, you're out shooting teams when you're on the ice. But 
Flyers haven't scored, so Ghost plus minus and his goals for percentage look awful. I would assume that next year that'll normalize. It'll be more you know representative of what his play driving abilities are, and things will get better. I just worry. I, I don't want him to be passive. I want him to be an aggressive defenseman without the puck, and I do worry that the coaching staff may be getting in his head a little bit. That's my only concern surrounding Ghost right now. See, but did we did we expect him to replicate the season he had no, last year? No, no, absolutely. I mean, I didn't expect him to shoot eleven percent because he's a defenseman. Some forwards don't even shoot eleven percent. Yeah, that's no, what he shot I, his first year. We talked like no defenseman has shot over ten percent and scored ten goals like in two two. I think yeah, two years in a row since like the seventies. Wow. And Ghost would be the first one to do it in like forty years. So hey, forty. Good number for the Flyers. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just I I wonder if the uh, the passiveness and how they were having him play was because of the lack of explosion. Because last yeah, year, maybe. last year we really liked how active he was, especially in the neutral zone and especially breaking up entries. And there have just been times this year I've noticed it, especially. Uh, with loose pucks and puck races, where I'm like, oh, yeah, Ghost wins this, sure. And he doesn't. And I'm thinking, ugh, that just, that first, that explosion just isn't there. And so I'm thinking, maybe that all ties in where the coaches were like, hey, man, you're not going to win that race, so you need to play a step off. And when he's healthy, he'll be able to do what he did last year and just be tighter on on forwards. Maybe. I I hope so. That's my hope. If not... You know, yeah, I, I, I just, I hope that they're not screwing with his head. I hope that these scratchings yeah. have been. I hope the direction that he's been getting after the scratchings isn't keep him to the outside. You know, be strong positionally. I hope it's not that. I hope it's still challenge the guy in the neutral zone and try to break up the entry. That's what I wanted to be because that's like Gosses Bear. He's he's a small guy. And he wants to gut up the ice. So he's never going to be amazing positionally in the defensive zone. He's never going to be amazing in puck battles. The way he's going to succeed is by winning the sheer entry battle. You know, if the Flyers get the puck in the offensive zone way more than they allow the puck in the defensive zone when he's on the ice. And the best way to do that is to make sure they never get in there in the first place. And the best way to do that is to be aggressive. And that's what made him effective last year. Uh, Devils just scored. It's 4-2 with uh, like two minutes. They're two minutes into the third. And the Flyers have 15 shots. I love the Flyers. I want to go. I love the misery. Oh, it looks like Mason's hurt. Oh, that's good. I want to go. great. I want to go all the way back for a minute because I've been wanting to talk about this for a week and I haven't been able to uh, because, you know, we we do a show once a week. I want to go all the way back to last Tuesday in the Buffalo game (laughs) and the Belmar fight. And I know there are some people in this room. Not going to point any of them out. Some of them are named Charlie. <laughs> who disagree with this premise. And like, I I can't say like Dave Haxtall did and that the fight was the turning point of the game because it happened right away. And like, you know, Buffalo's pretty bad to begin with. But the idea that players do draw an extra emotional focus from the sacrifices of their teammates stepping outside of their own role. And I want to use the the word extraordinary, but not extraordinary, because there's nothing extraordinary about getting your face pummeled. But it's about going above and beyond to say, hey, boys, we're in this. Like, come on, let's go. I just got beaten up for you guys. And Belmar said, like, hey, I don't want to take credit for it, but we scored when I was in the box. 
<laughs> great pass, great passive right there. That's why he has the A. And there, you know what? It's a stupid hockey thing, but that doesn't make it untrue. Because if players believe it, it's true. I don't believe there's room in the game for fight for fighters anymore. Tom Sestito is not a hockey player. He's a thug who owns a pair of skates. What Belmar did is still playing hockey. It's still a part of the game. And the fact that the players all pointed to it means it had an effect. Charlie, tell me I'm wrong. Okay. No, I the the funny thing is is that I don't think we're like I, I don't I don't think I'm not I don't hold the position I think you think I hold is probably the best way to put it. It's not there, there were two problems I had with the way that the You're Bel- being a bigot against the, stats people. <laughs> the way that the Belmar fight was was presented by the coaching staff, by the media. The number one problem I had with it, and this was just the the annoyance factor, is that it just seemed like everyone was trying so hard to justify why Pierre Edouard Belmar is so valuable because he like let himself get his face punched in at the start of a game and that was why Pierre Edouard Belmar deserves the A. It's like, look, this is not a reason to keep around a guy who literally cannot score at the NHL level. It's great that he's a great teammate. It's great that he's a leader, but like he's not a good NHL hockey player. So let's not elevate his value because of something like this. Now to go to the fighting itself. Now I'm on record as saying that I like fights. I enjoy watching them. I'm not going to act like they have this big, you know, this big impact on winning and big impact on the game. And they I say they can, but. I enjoy watching fights, and the way I look at it is I kind of take like a libertarian view here. Like, look, if you have two people who have no problem with fighting each other and they know, they know the risks, they know that you know you could potentially deal with concussion issues in the future, then have at it. Go fight because it makes you guys happy that you're standing up for your teammates, and I don't I, – I enjoy watching the fight. So I'm cool with it. And I also believe that fighting in that type of situation can help general team camaraderie and team chemistry, which I do believe has a general impact on play over the course of a season. Because I believe if players like each other, and if they like being around each other, and they think players will stand up for their teammates, they will play better over the course of the year than a team that can't stand each other. There's a reason that 2010-11 Flyers team you know, got crushed by the Bruins, and it wasn't lack of talent. They didn't want to be around each other. Yeah, like I, I believe that has an impact, and I think something like what Belmar did, I think it has an impact there. Because they like Belmar, and they trust Belmar. What I don't think is I don't think the team was going to lose that game against Buffalo, but because Pierre Belmar fought in the beginning of the game, that was the turning point, and that's what drove them to victory. I think that's bullshit. It's not a cause and effect situation. I absolutely agree with you there, because there's a guy on Buffalo who fought too, and they yeah. drew nothing from that fight. I, I think it's a calculated thing you do when you are that guy. Like He went and fought a guy who was going to beat him up. The way... Max Talbot fought Dan Carcillo. He fought a guy who was going to beat him up, but they were down 3 nothing on the road, and he needed his team to, like, hey, guys, let's get her going. The, and the, they did. The, just that image of Talbot just shushing the crowd after he got his <sighs> ass kicked. I, but it's like you can look at that as an example of, you know, fighting maybe it does, you know, pump your team up in a sense. Like, you know, you just watched your guy go out there. He got his ass kicked, talking about Talbot at least. And, you know, maybe they looked at that. They took something from it. They're like, okay, you know, if Max is going out here doing this, maybe we can, you know, take some adrenaline from this and just go at it. But it's also also the fact that we remember that. Like, we remember that because it was this big fight and the momentum changed. What we don't remember are the 30 times when there was a fight in the third period of a, you know, of a, or the second period of a, 4-1 4-1 playoff game and nothing happens because the team up 4-1 sure, yeah. usually wins those games. LaViolette didn't 
you know, score a goal out of every timeout, but he was the master of the timeout because sometimes they did. Yeah. That's yeah, just sports. Did. Yeah, that's just sports. <laughs> and but, just like sports, the Flyers are losing 5-2 to two now. Yes! Yeah! But I do believe... I'm so glad we recorded rather than watching this game. <laughs> oh, there was zero... I wouldn't have watched... The, and like, I'm... No. I cover this team. I host the show. I will tell all of you listening, I would have not watched this game tonight. I just got Star Wars Rebels on, on DVD, <laughs> season one and two. I'd be deep into that right now <laughs> priorities thank you for your sacrifice I, I, you know why would i watch something when i know what's gonna happen what like, there's zero percent chance they're beating the devils tonight and like everyone's on twitter like being sarcastic about it but you said earlier in the show like of course they lose and you didn't say it with a drip of sarcasm <laughs> because it's not like oh yeah they're gonna lose they were gonna lose. See, but now what they're gonna do is they're gonna come back. They're gonna win three more games. They're gonna pull within two points of a playoff spot. Screw themselves out of a good draft pick and not make the playoffs. If they are the Flyers, if they are the team with the most points that misses the playoffs, I am gonna hate them so much. That's what's gonna happen I'm, though because this yep. is Philadelphia. I am gonna hate them so much. Uh, Jordan Wheel told Charlie to suck it. Uh, <laughs> I am I, I am really happy that Jordan Wheel finally started scoring points. I know, no. It was just funny that right, like, the minute after you said, like, I don't know what Jordan Wheel is. He's probably not very good. Like, he started looking like the player we were saying maybe he might be. His we stats have been awesome. here. That's, That's what, what we, we do. do. Yeah, that is what we it's do. what we he do. I, there's just nothing that can be done about Andrew McDonald. I guess. Well, I, well, we we, we just, tried on multiple yeah, occasions. I'm trying this. Day. We're still trying. He's playing with Provorov every night. 650 minutes apparently. He See, pa- he know, passed that threshold according to Ryan Gilbert on Twitter tonight. You know what's scary to think if McDonald plays out the duration of his contract is to think like all the games that he you know he's gonna have under his belt with this organization. We're gonna look back and look at Andrew McDonald's gonna have like what four hundred. He's gonna be he's gonna be like the top twenty games <laughs> played. Exactly. <laughs> and with Kill that me. depressing image, we will leave you for the week. That is all the time we have on this edition of Broad Street Hockey Radio. I really hope you didn't watch that Devils game. You're probably listening Friday morning. We're so sorry. Uh, I'm sorry if you had to sit through that because we really enjoyed sitting here in each other's company making fun of the team for an hour. <laughs> rather than watch that mess that I'm sure you were all making fun of on Twitter. Uh, Have a great week, Philly. Are you ready to talk about sports? Yeah! Who's gonna score hockey goals? Our team! No one does more hockey than our boys. The Flyers! Hey guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season. Man, the 2018 season was 
Well, it was interesting anyway, and the upcoming offseason looks to be even more interesting. So if you want to stay up to date on all things Phillies this offseason, subscribe to the Good Fight podcast feed and get my podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. And you'll get bonus podcasts every time big news is made with the team. Seriously, if you want to stay up to date on everything revolving around your favorite baseball team as they return to contention, make sure you are subscribed to the Good Fight podcast feed.